So, good morning. Welcome to Blue Lotus Radio. And this is this morning is Anakalema Talk. And we have Anakalema with us here in the studio. And uh, we've got an amazing topic this morning. This is what she sent me to introduce this talk session. What truly is the power of forgiveness? Why do we struggle to forgive when we know it's holding us back? What is the link in our psychology and diseases? Especially those kind of diseases that never go away and keep popping up elsewhere. And the link between non-forgiveness. Is there a link? Namaste. So that's, <laughs> that's what um, we're going to talk about this morning. So welcome, Anna Galema, once again to uh, your talk show. Thank you, Blessed Ralph. Yes, it's wonderful to be here as we close the year. And uh, we enter towards that very, very sensitive time on the solstice, which is, I uh, would also like to bring into discussion today anyway, on the 21st of this month, is perhaps one of the most important solstices since the one that we actually enjoyed when we were with the group in Peru, Ralph, in uh 2012 so it's quite interesting isn't it that we are facing this um, incredible solstice which is so important for us to be aware of and all these things are so deeply interconnected yes um, we have got a very very important solstice coming up and um, there we, we can see the chart on the Kilima so here's the sources over here. <coughs> Ralph is busy looking at a chart, a global chart for the planetary body and how the solstices work with regard to the incoming and outcoming of comma. Perhaps, Ralph, I can ask you a question for a change. Would you just very briefly explain to people what the solstice really is? Because actually very few know, other than perhaps to celebrate it. But what does it really mean karmically? Well, a solstice, you know, it is, there's three very important cycles that they, the Earth has. And the one, the yearly cycle, what people don't realize, it's not just connected to the seasons, you see. It's actually connected to the soul of the Earth. The uh, Earth's... Beloved Terra. Yeah, Beloved Terra. <coughs> so, there, it's connected to Beloved Terra, the, our Earth as a soul. And the... The soul wakes up and falls asleep, just like human beings do. So once in a year, we have a wake up, and, a, and a, so in other words, a year is the soul of the Earth's day. So when it comes to the equinoxes and to the solstices, we get to the peak of the astral organization of the Earth. So the, the summer solstice. For us, it is a summer solstice. For the northern hemisphere, it's a winter solstice. Is one of those peak points where either the soul is right out or it is closely embodied with the earth, you see. So for us, it is closely. But what's making this particular solstice so very important is that that's, um, the solstice, as you know, is on the zero degrees of Capricorn. 
Capricorn is always the beginning of the karmic cycle. It's always a new karmic cycle. That's why this solstice is so important because this is a new karmic cycle. A new year begins, karmically speaking, on the 21st of December, not on the 1st of January. But this year, look how, if you look at chart here, yeah, is, um, here is the... Uh, um, the zero degrees Capricorn there, but 30 degrees up, we have a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction taking place, mm -hmm. also exactly on the um, on the zero degrees of Aquarius. So, this means that uh, the Jupiter-Saturn is now inaugurating a brand new cycle into Aquarius, which we know Aquarius is very connected to Saint Germain and the workings of Saint Germain uh, is, is the hierophant of, 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 of this age now and of love. So this solstice is, is, is initiating a new event and the Jupiter and Saturn conjunction on exactly the same day, exactly 30 degrees uh, further up in Aquarius, it is a, a very auspicious uh, situation up there in the uh, in the heavens, and we could maybe even say more about that. But I think for <coughs> now, let us leave it. On the other side, we've got um, the position of Sirius, and you see the node there. Well, the node is busy moving into alignment with Sirius. That means the moon's sphere is going to align with Sirius, and I I think that this is where. Sirius is going to pronounce very, very severe comic um, uh, decrees on the moon's uh, astral, because the moon is also astral, you see. The moon has within it the very lower aspects of the astral body. And so these are, this is extremely <laughs> important configuration that's coming up. Yeah, so it, it is actually linked to the subject we have, because when you have a very vast return of karma um, as the world is experiencing this post-Atlantean, um, post-Egyptian karma which is coming in now is really up for redemption. It's up for in every individual situation regardless of um, uh, the, the, the nation or the uh, culture etc etc because karma is actually uh, no respect of persons. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, color of your skin, etc., etc. Or when the karma comes to bear, it comes to bear, and everybody has to bear both the individual aspect of their own personal karmic equation and their national karma. All right, there's also karma you have within the nation that you are presently living in, and that is even for those who take up temporary residence somewhere else for a short while before they return to home, wherever that may be. You bear a certain amount of karma. And then there is the global karma as well, which all three link to the threefold aspect of being in, in love, wisdom and power in our threefold nature. And it actually works out quite um, quite intensely. You'll find that the, the international or global karma Humanity must bear as the overall cross of Christ. Um, so that is not something that only one individual obviously would bear. 
your national karma is very similar. Um, you've even got karma in your neighborhood. Um, your national karma is that of the nation, whatever karmic um, extremities, whether they're positive or negative or so on and so forth. It's all interlinked. It's never just one. It's never just only negative. Um, it's both positive and negative, the plus and the minus. Unfortunately, we are living in an age at the moment where we are very, we as an overall humanity are very overburdened by condemnation and judgment, criticism and so on. We are very, very quick to judge other people. We rush out of the block to judge other people because we're so hot under our own collar and do not realize that often when we judge others or criticize others or so on and so forth, it's because something has been triggered within you and therefore you respond to what is going on outside of you. You're either going to add to its weight you have that choice and get involved and continue to be like unfortunately most people in in judging and so on and so forth or you might be wise enough to abstain completely and to remain quiet within your soul and to allow events to outplay this is not a kind of passivity Ralph I want to bring up very clearly here you know there's a statement in in so-called hard law you know, particularly you see it in these movies, it's very common when someone is arrested, um, what do they say to them? You have the right to remain silent because anything you say may be held against you. So we look at that from a karmic perspective and we have the right comically to remain silent because anything we say may very well be held against us if we incur karma. If you're going to say something that is uncalled for, and is inflammatory you're going to actually activate comic circumstances with the situation event people's person so that calls for an extraordinary glance at what we are all to some extent falling very short of the mark of and that is forgiveness now the word forgiveness means to give first if you really want to look at it they say i'm not forgiving you in other words i'm not going to give first that's what you're saying when you tell someone you won't forgive them, you are refusing to give first. Now I won't give first because you've grieved me so, etc., etc. Therefore, you give first before I will give first. I'm going to compromise love. I'm going to compromise the law of my being. I'm refusing to love and I'm telling you, you will give to me before I will give you anything. That is what non-forgiveness is. How do you win on that, Ralph? Particularly when you have the responsibility as a light bearer, um, as part of the avant-garde, you have a responsibility to mankind where you've got to understand that in most cases, even the newly awakened, and I put this very sensitively, light bearers and so on who are emerging out of the sleep of non-awareness, you have to oversee all of this and the only way you can oversee I have certainly been trained this way um, to understand and I shared with you a year or so back a particular initiation experience I went through with the Christ and with the human skull a very interesting one if you remember that Ralph and um, what we need to do and what we need to see is Christ in every single human being regardless of our outer that is your egocentric Okay, egocentric. There's really no center for the ego, actually. So that's a bit of a misnomer, that statement. But the outer awareness is obviously not informed because it's not in touch. 
Um, now, instinct, as Saint Germain has told me, is actually nothing other than the watered-down version of intuition. So most animals have an instinct. They don't have intuition because they don't have the Christ mind. Intuition means what it means to be tutored, to be taught inwardly. That's what the word intuition means, is to receive inner teaching. So to receive inner teaching, we need to also be receptive to inspiration, to receive spirit inwardly, because spirit is obviously the teacher. And which spirit? Spirit of God in his mighty electronic love through the cosmic Christ patterns that interweave through us all. We have to see the Christ consciousness in every single individual, um, Ralph. That Christ consciousness is there regardless of even that person is actually an atheist by their own choice, which we know is an absolute illusion, but it's their choice. Whatever the choice is that they express at that given point of time does not in any way allow us to bypass or think we can judge that individual minus the Christ or the Spirit of God is Christ in them. This is the law of love of your being. Is We have to, even the most hardest criminal, even these particular individuals who have brought about so much injustice on this planet at the moment, we still have to recognize their humanity in the sleeping or unconscious Christ component that is not awakened in them. Right, right. indeed. <coughs> so, th this is a time when people are really needing to wake up, right? And uh, they are. People are waking up rapidly. But uh, it's quite a, a major wake-up that has to take place. So part of this wake-up is the fact that your karma that needs to be balanced is brought uh, rapidly to the front now. And you have to meet it full on. And uh, hmm, I think we must guard very much against uh, depression and being down, uh, but having a positive mind. Uh, a positive mind in relationship to the things that happen to one, right? Yeah, I think the, the adage in the charismatic Christian world they love to play on actually is a very important one, and that is we have to guard the heart because everything flows from it, like your hands are an extension of your heart. So we ought to be very careful what we do with our hands. We have chakras in the palm of our hands, very, very sensitized chakras. And anyone who is was ever worked with psychometry, in other words, you pick up something and you have a sense about it. You can read certain situations about it. You know, there are some things you just automatically don't want to touch. Why? Because that vibratory factor of what you may touch will go straight into your heart. So we have to be very careful. The other way around is what we send out through the hands. You know, we have from Beloved El Moria the head, heart, and hand decrees because at the end of your hand, obviously quite <laughs> normally of five fingers as such, and they are connected not only to your five senses but to the five crystal rays. In other words, your potential to ascend, your potential that in through every one of your five fingers on both hands, you can as an, ex an ascended being extend rays of light and energy that can help to mold and create universes and planets and so on and so forth. You know, the finger of God that traces across the sky the morning dawn, that index finger is so much more than we imagine because the index finger and the thumb of the Christ consciousness um, represents the will of God. 
So the will comes through the thumb. The thumb is a very interesting um, appendage on the human body. It is extremely important because it is indicated to will and the will to do. And that's for another subject, another time. But the power of forgiveness is obviously something we need to look at here because I've used that word most specifically because the masters have trained me for quite some time now. This is over many years. We're not talking over a couple of days. We're talking over many, many, many years, if not the whole of this particular embodiment of what forgiveness really is. And you know that forgiveness, Ralph, and patience are synonymous. If you don't have patience, you can't forgive. Did you know that? Mm. Now, that's a very interesting correlation. Hmm. You see... You'll find that if we just take the path of the East and the martial artists and so on and the monastic path, they are trained from day one to however long if they stay their whole life and so on in patience. They are made to wait endlessly for anything. Why? Because it doesn't only give us a sense of self-awareness and self-esteem, self-integrity as well. It allows us to be able to give first because we see the folly of individuals who rush headlong into situations mentally, emotionally, who rush in with the ego, who rush in with ideas they haven't even properly investigated just because that feeling is boiling in their heart. It is like a... a, a a big pot of stew boiling inside the solar plexus and spilling over into the heart of emotion and energy and therefore they want to rectify this emotion nine times out of ten blame somebody for it because they cannot deal with it themselves and what do you do you have a situation where with the act of thoughtlessness and non-forgiveness um, so that's why we have war as has been given to me by Kuan Yin yesterday the reason there's war on this planet is because of non-forgiveness. The reason the planet is in the position it is today is because of non-forgiveness. Why? Because people don't have the patience. They are so busy, so self-involved, so selfishly wrapped up in their little worlds that they haven't got time to take into account what makes another person say or do something. And therefore, karmic situations erupt and we don't forgive. Do you see the complexity of the situation? So patience is very, very important. You know, the Lord himself in the Bible says, what is it if I ask you to tarry? Now, you and I have discussed this for many, many years, this particular teaching of Jesus Christ. In other words, what is it if I ask you to wait? If I make you wait until I come. The other one, Jesus said, is occupied till I come. What does that mean? You will live in your temple. You will live, move, and have your being and live your daily life. And you will wait for me. You will wait until I arrive in your life. And if I don't arrive in your life till I think you're ready, you will just wait a little bit more. And then you and I have that wonderful joke between each other, which is hurry up and wait. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's, uh, that's, somewhat, that's everybody's joke these days because that's, in fact, what is... Um, most people have to hurry up and wait. Okay, that's a very nice introduction. Thank you, Anna Kalimuk. Shall we just have a short break and we'll, we'll hear a beautiful song about uh, Angel from Heaven.
Tremendous uh, introduction here this morning. This introduction to what is um, forgiveness and its relationship to patience. So this is an absolutely amazing. I, I myself never linked the two, but this morning you say that the masters have have shown you the exact link between patience and um, if and, you don't have patience, Ralph, you won't have compassion. So patience is also the backside, if you like, <coughs> of compassion. Think of compassion as a pyramid. There are four sides to it. And um, patience is one of them. You know, and we are warned in the Bible, in patience, beget yourself. Lord Maitreya often states, I am a very, very, very patient master. I will wait for you. Why? Because patience is love. I'm willing if it takes you time to wait for you. Take your time, because in actual fact, as Maitreya teaches, I've got eternity to wait for you, because you belong to me. You belong to God. And if it's going to take you that long, it's going to take you that long, because I love you. Therefore, I will wait for you to sort yourself out and heal yourself and come home, because there's actually no other place for you to go but to come home. Those are the words of Lord Maitreya. And um, even if you, you fall apart at the seams and you want nothing to do with me for three embodiments, I'm still loving you in the meantime, waiting for you to get hold of yourself, overcome all this nonsense and return to me. This is how the Ascended Masters talk, because of the power of love, because there is only God. There is only God and God has the most patience out of all of us. Can you imagine if God didn't have patience where this planetary body would be? If we were to truly offend the Creator, what would happen? We are told again and again by the Ascended Masters that this is nothing but a little footstool kingdom for Almighty God. And yet this little footstool kingdom is a very beautiful place. <coughs> and there are to date approximately some 8 billion souls. Uh, contrary to the fact that some believe there are too many people on this planet, this planet is equipped to carry 10 billion souls at a time with ease. It is unfortunately only the maliciousness of greed and fear and all other dark thoughts that um, preclude what is supposed to be for everybody, everyone, even if there were in embodiment now 10 billion souls. This beloved planetary body is fully equipped to supply the needs of every single last one of them. It's a matter of ergonomics, the law of the management of energy, compassion, love. The law of your being is love. As Lord Maitreya gave through Jesus is to love one another as I have loved you. That in itself is the law of patience, isn't it? Which means it's the law of forgiveness. The more patient we are when we raise children, this is one of the most profound experiences that most parents have, is you have and find you do have infinite patience with your children. Why? Why do you not just crack down on them and tear them apart? We're talking about loving families now, Ralph, not people that are dysfunctional. Why? Because we love. That's why. We love them and we know that in time the child will grow and function, etc., etc., and give that child a chance, etc. To give a child a chance means I will stand back and I will have patience. I will not be in your way, but I'm right here for you. Why, Ralph? Because we're given free will. 
If Lord Maitreya didn't have patience, it means that he goes against the law of free will. Mm. If we don't have patience with one another, we are breaking the law of free will of the person in front of us. Mm. Because you yourself as an individual require the same patience. You know, this egocentric business means you place the ego at the center of your reality, mm. which means in a sense you have utterly transgressed the law of your being, which is love, because the ego in the heart of God doesn't exist. God is the center of your reality. If you are going to truly affirm that daily, then you will not lose patience. You will not enter into irritability that actually causes you to lash out and to be very unfair, etc., etc., to other people, and even to yourself as well. How often do we lash out at self in huge bouts of non-forgiveness and lack of patience, forcing, 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 pushing, pushing, pushing ourselves into situations we should never have entered into? Because this is what lack of patience does. It forces you into situations. And in fact, when we express, as the laws of karma come through here, lack of patience with one another, we can invariably force people to make certain choices and actions that push them into situations that you are going to be karmically responsible for. It's a very, very moot point. It's a very serious point. This is why, um, again, you know, you have the laws of, of karma, mighty lords. You have also the four and twenty <coughs> elders on the God Star series, which is, if you, if for those who don't know, it is the very, very high up, higher, higher, higher hierarchical version of the comic board for this particular planet. Remembering, if you know anything about cosmic law, that the four and twenty elders, the great massive, if you like over karmic board of the God Star series is not just for this planet, it's actually for the solar system and other planetary bodies as well, which have very similar life on it as to what we have. So that's sort of something for maybe another discussion next year sometime. But in the meantime, um the the, the law of patience is the law of love. And if we're going to practice patience, this is why martial arts will on a particular form in particular, you've done martial arts yourself, and so have I. Um, you have to spend a very long time actually bringing to fulfillment of your entire being and attainment one particular movement, one particular form. You have to study for a very long time, and that requires patience. We know that in simple Tai Chi, the patience that is required to learn that form, soft form of, of, of Tai Chi, to be able to move that body in etheric flow into the actual figure eight flow of what um, Tai Chi is about requires incredible patience and then that brings the, this to another level what is patience it's silence mm. true patience is silence because if we're patient we're silent because we wait in other words we don't have anything to say because it's not necessary because you're waiting <laughs> yes okay oh well so so we are now starting to see that the Shaolin monks and these monks that uh, practiced these forms of martial arts, they knew exactly that especially with martial arts you have to develop, develop patience so that your impatience never comes forward in what you're doing. Yes, so Anaklima, where do we go to from here now? We have to look at what forgiveness really is. We have to look <coughs> that, again, in, in Buddhism, in the teachings of the great Tathagata, who delivered 82,000 sutras, Ralph, 
Um, patience is forbearance as well. Okay, patience will remove ignorance. All right, and patience will bring about a deep, satisfying understanding of the self. In through patience, we can self-realize, and through patience, we can actually self-master as well. We have to realize that in patience, when we forgive one another, we allow or tolerate other people's different points of view. What do we have in the world today? If you look at it as I am overviewing it everywhere and I look at how everyone's reacting, people are finally standing up for their rights and so on and so forth. Okay, but what is it that is still very predominant amongst people? We see it in our own nation. Is it not a lack of tolerance? Because tolerance obviously, unfortunately, does move towards um, racialism to a certain extent. Because we're not going to tolerate someone else purely because of the color of their skin is very childish and a very sad point of view. All right, It's childish from the point of view that um, children can, as we know, be very, very unfair towards one another. And unless they are raised in a certain way, children actually don't practice racialism at all. Okay, they love one another, they don't see color at all. They may be intolerant of one another because of jealousies. You know, the child next to the the one who's now getting a little bit aggro has got the toy he wants. So there's a certain sense of possessiveness there. That possessiveness uh, comes a little bit from jealousy as well, which is not a particularly positive attribute in any human being. But out of that, you can have racial um, disintegration between people. You know, you've got to look at the fact that anything that has any racial tendency is because we have a deep, deep, deep subconscious wound within us, okay? It goes back, right back to Lemuria. And it is also very, very much part of the tragic fallen investment of the Nephilim on this planet to bring about racial issues because any Ascended Master will tell you they are pure illusion, they don't exist that underneath any kind of so-called racial tendency are usually deep-seated fears and pain and memory of actually being rejected. <coughs> okay, one race rejects another race, for example. You know, the white people, when they were colonizing America, rejected the red Native Americans purely on the uh, presumption of the tone of their skin and the way they were living. Now, at that stage, I can assure you, because it's been given to me, the word race, racial, did not exist, Ralph. It didn't exist. It's only in modern times this word has come up. Very modern times. What came up there was fear and prejudice to the way other people live. Now, I've done a little bit of international traveling myself, and I find it has been for me, when I've traveled in the world, Fascinating because I love people regardless of where and who and how and what and so on or the tone of the skin um, and I find that there's no greater education actually than to travel abroad and come back to go to a few countries and see how other people live to actually broaden your horizon broaden your awareness and realize that every single beautiful tone of skin of a particular culture is a divine expression of God through the seven rays and the seven chohans of the rays. Okay, the tones of the skin are to do with the evolution of consciousness, Ralph. And there is a specific place for each particular culture, the so-called white culture, the so-called 
black culture, the so-called red culture, the so-called yellow culture, are all to do with the rays of the seven chohans or the evolution of your consciousness. And when we get stuck in one or two of them, when we have memories of violation, because obviously, particularly if we go back in the last, never mind Atlantis, let's just look at the last 4,000 years on, on our planet here. It's just been one bloody fiasco, and I use that word absolutely deliberately. It's been a terrible war, hasn't it? It's, it's always been about conquer and divide. And we go back in time, one tribe was more powerful than the other and conquered that tribe. But it wasn't just a matter of conquer. They would normally burn and annihilate and destroy and abduct women and children and kill the men off and so on. So what is that? What on earth is that? Where does this wound come from? Okay, so I'll tell you where it really does come from, but we'll speak about that a little bit later. So we have to understand that um, when we look at patience, we, we need to realize that every culture of God, every expression of God has a reason for being here. It is a facet of his own being. We, in, in our finite, minuscule, tiny little minds, until we enter the cosmic Christ understanding, and even then we're only given it in increment, cannot understand the multifaceted, magnificent multiplication of God's body. Which is not just one stream of consciousness, Ralph. It's not just one particular reflection of a culture. It is a rainbow reflection that we are at the end of the day. The Dalai Lama puts it in a very beautiful way. He says in his, his I love it, by the way, his beautiful broken Tibetan English. He says, we're all same. We're all same. Under skin, we're all same. Now you think about that. We are all the same under the skin. If I cut your arm, you're going to bleed. And goodness me, it looks like you also have veins too there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, you've also got a heart and a liver. Oh my goodness me, really? And the pe people don't realize this. My goodness me, you actually have feelings. Oh my word. You see, we tend to forget that, that people in different cultures and different tones of skin have deep feelings that aren't completely identical to our own. What is it that causes us to be apprehended by color? It is all these things put in, and it is to do with the lack of patience of self. The other one that always comes up, I haven't got time, I haven't got time, I haven't got time. When we say, I haven't got time, what are we really doing, Ralph? We're saying, I'm not interested <coughs> in you, I'm not prepared to spend time on you. I'm only interested in what I am doing. That's what we say when we haven't got time for other people. I'm sorry, I don't have time for that today. You'll find most people in business do that, in hardcore business and the so-called... Um, corporate business and so on and so forth oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm very busy, I'm very busy man I've got time, the masters sometimes jeer on it, you know when they say that people wonder why they can't get along with the teachings and progress and so on, because they're always telling the masters, I'm sorry I don't have time you know, I've got to hold down a job, I've, I've got to earn a living I've got, and the master will just stand there and look at you as if any single being who ever ascended didn't so when we constantly refer to the fact that I haven't got time, what we really are saying to is I'm far too important to actually spend time with you and I don't consider your time worthy of mine that's really what that means it's a lack of patience which is a lack of forgiveness means that if you're different to me is too different I'm not going to tolerate it already that's a lack of forgiveness forgiveness isn't just forgiving a wrong deed forgiveness is to give in every circumstance this particular culture people do things this way this particular culture do that way. It's just a different expression. 
and we have to constantly give so that you can meet that form of expression. Yes, we were created by God, we were given life, Ralph. This is the cosmic premise of the cosmic Christ. You were given life freely. You were given life, this incredible, precious, precious gift of life. You can evolve. You can move through the evolution, the seven spheres of consciousness, through the evolution of consciousness in the Christ spheres of the unfolding to the buddhic and atmic planes of awareness. You can eventually become a mighty, mighty cosmic being like mighty cosmos himself. What a gift. Therefore, we have to give in return. We weren't charged for the life we were given. Well, I've given you life, now you'll have to pay me. God didn't do that. He gave you life freely. This incredible, we will never, ever, no being in creation can ever pay God back for the life he's given us. Cannot. Mm. Cannot pay God back for the life you've been given. Well, that, that thought actually brings about huge humility, actually. It yes. makes, makes me really bow my head in absolute humility that we've been given life, you know, that we've given this spark of existence that's in my feeling world and in my heart. Yeah. You see, what has happened particularly since Atlantis and in this um, 14,000 year cycle that we are in, it's actually more of a 10 year, 1,000 year cycle, but anyway, this 14,000 year cycle that we've been in, which is been, as I have said, and if you only have to look in, in the annals of history and you'll see, it is war. It is nothing but war. Okay, Atlantis fell because of war. Uh, mighty Egypt, which was Atlantis, fell because of war. Again, okay, so what is war? It means I do not tolerate your point of view, therefore I'm going to kill you. You see. And therefore, somebody who's got more means than another comically says, all right, I'll sponsor you to kill them. Is that not what war is? I'll pay for this war. Is that what they not they do today? They pay for wars? Okay, to get certain people to constantly fight against each other? You will find that most men and women who are in the military today, because we know today women join the military as well, most men and women who are, whether they are in America, like in the Marines or the Air Force or ever, on foot soldiers, it doesn't matter, in intelligence and so on, is why? Because you are suspicious of someone else and the way they live, and it doesn't quite run with the way you live, and therefore you want to control them. This is also the other issue, is control. Because people can't control themselves, they seek to control others, you see. You'll find that most people who are very condemnatory by nature and judgmental and seek to go around controlling dictatorship um, comes from that, is that you have absolutely no uh, point of self-control. You've lost all sense of self-control within because you're drowning in a sense. Most people who, who are dictators and who are very selfish and who control everyone are actually cowards at the end. Michael has shown me this, Archangel Michael. The greatest cowards of all in humanity are those who control humanity. Okay, out of nefarious means. Not because you need to actually bring management to a certain amount of people. There's a difference between managing an entire country and trying to control them. Okay, there's, there are agendas that are hidden there. 
Okay, but control is always to do with fear. Because if you can't control yourself, you're afraid. And therefore you were afraid of someone else <coughs> who, whom you can't control. Because you've lost the law of your being. You've lost the law of love. Because if you truly love one another as Christ has loved us, you won't need to control anybody because you won't need to control yourself. Because you will be in God control. God control is nothing but harmony and balance. When we are fairly balanced, not too much to the left or to the right, we are in our center, and there's a certain sense of pervading harmony within those kind of people we like to be with, because they bring about a sense of calm when you are in their company. It's pleasant to be there because they also do not depend on the energetic resources of another person to keep them going, because they realize that the energy within their own being is who they are, it is their own resources, and therefore it is enough for them without having to lynch onto the energies of other people. Again, we are speaking now of lack of control. Lack of control always means that you do not know how to manage the law of economics, the law of your own being. You have lost your balance, and therefore you are going to be extremely intolerable of other people who can. And just in case other people might usurp your situation, you're going to try and control them. <laughs> I, I would venture to say tongue-in-cheek that most corporate companies today, and you'll see today in the world, corporate is dying. It's it's dying all over the world. Most very big multinational corporate um, situations don't take the person in, into account at all. It's all to do with the lynching of the <coughs> resources of the individual. That's why people don't get paid properly. They can never pay them enough for, for what they do. Because they want their labor, they want free labor, they'll give them a certain amount of money and say, that's what we're paying you to do, and now you will pour your life blood forces in there, and if you don't like it, you can leave. What is that all about? That is complete and utter lack and total disregard for the humanity of that individual, their worth, what they have to offer, what they can give. Already, to go and take a job on like that, you forfeited all your human rights anyway. You don't have any rights when you work for somebody like that. You forfeited them all. You might get a huge package in the end and the hum and the car and all the rest, but, but you sold your soul. At what expense? Yeah, unfortunately. Nowadays, if you work for a corporate company, that's what you have to do. It is so sad. Uh, the idea of uh, allowing people free initiative is only beginning to, to uh, enter the corporate world. Mostly, it's always to do with greed. Yeah. In other words, there's not enough for me. We rake a certain, this is corporate, we rake in X amount, billion every year. And if I have to take care of you, there's going to be a bit less for me, and I'm not going to put up with that. That's really what it is. It's greed. It's greed, avarice, and absolute, complete, and utter nihilism. And that's also connected to patience, isn't it? Yes. If you, if you aren't patient, then, then you're also greedy. Yeah, because you can't wait for your yeah. allotment to come around. Well, out of out of the the lack of patience, you will also have resentment. And Saint Germain teaches very strongly that resentment always gives birth to to retaliation, to revenge. Now Christ made it very clear, vengeance is mine. That's why we have comic laws. You see, that we want to play God, and we want to take vengeance out on other people because they're not performing to the way we want them to perform. So we judge and control them and criticize them. Do you see what a mess this is? Because of lack of patience and lack of love. 
lack of being able to give first. It's really very much the self-ishness. In other words, the ego becomes the center of your reality. And if the ego becomes the center of your reality, you cannot love. Because there's no love in the ego at all whatsoever. It is a very selfish creature that exists only for itself. Right, we're going to have a small break now and then we'll come back and we'll talk some more about this fascinating subject. Yeah. 
Uh, so Hanukkah Lima was telling me now during the break that the underlying virtue that we have to develop even in the retreats of the masters is humility. Humility stands behind so many things and extreme patience and forgiveness but humility, you need the humility to be able to forgive and to be patient actually. One must just humble oneself and be thankful for one's lot and uh, that I suppose has got a big karmic question attached to that, is that not? You, you see, without the foundation of either the, the 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 principle of the four noble truths of Gautama Buddha or the the foundation of the Christ consciousness, because um, Jesus taught extensively on forgiveness, extensively. All right. Um, without that foundation of the Christ consciousness, you're not going to get anywhere. You see, the thing is, forgiveness can only arise out of true compassion. It really is part of compassion, or very, very deep love, very high level of love, because compassion is the highest form of of love the human being can actually experience. In Well, in the matter plane, there's even higher levels of love, Ralph, which the great ruby ray masters and the power of cosmic beings on the third ray, like Heros and Amora Elohim and... Sanat Kumar and Lady Venus and so on and so forth and the great Chohan Paul the Venetian and his divine consort uh, Ruth Hawkins these wonderful beings are are exponents if we like we talk of Archangel Chamuel and Charity this mighty Archangel of the third ray of the ruby ray which is uh, love God love uh, quite literally undiluted um, Saint Germain has stated in some of his teachings that he he cannot unleash the full love he has for us because if he did, we, we wouldn't cope, you see, and we would lose our own free will because that love would be so powerful, it would just swallow us up. Therefore, where would be our victory? Where will be the victory? People say, why don't the masters just do this for us? Well, then where's your victory? Why have we lost the sense of victory? Why have we lost the sense that we are worthy of victory and that we are actually able to to not only attract victory but to sustain victory by constantly persevering and enduring Jesus often says to me sometimes when I don't cope so well and I'm, I'm working here there and whatever and some of the others and even my own beloved whom is ascended has often says to me endure for me endure and persevere what is he really saying or the lady must saying is be patient be patient and endure wait learn to wait because the greatest rewards are given to those who wait but we are very childlike often the nature of the ego is very childlike it won't wait it refuses to wait it wants now it will have now you see but we forget that God is not finished with us we forget that we are not fully fashioned in Christ yet we are not ascended yet. We still have a little work to do. We still have a little development to do. We are not complete or we would be ascended by now. And therefore, in the process of completion, or as I've said before in, in Buddhism, in the process of becoming, um, we have to wait. Part of the whole monastic lineage, which is becoming strong again in the world, 
is patience. You can't enter a monastery east or west if you don't have patience, because they will beat it out of you. They can be pretty ruthless in the monasteries. They do not tolerate impatience and lack of humility and selfishness. They will beat it out of you. And usually they do it through very powerful abstainers and you know, deprivation to deprive you of all these things the ego must have. And it's a very interesting thing that I was given the, not so long ago by one of the masters is, and I was given this teaching on a very profound level because I was contemplating certain things. It was not so long ago and after a certain diamond stream that was delivered one evening. And, um, and, and that is when we are able in patience to see our worth when we are able to tolerate our own process, we will then give, we will give first in that love and we will be able to unfold. But until then we cannot see the greater picture that the Master can see. So we have to wait. We have to be very, very tolerant of our own processes because we have to have faith, we have to have belief, we have to have hope to know that the very thing that is possible for us to become, we can become. And that we cannot just manifest it here, there, instantly in front of us if we are not developed sufficiently to receive it. The Masters cannot endow you, the Holy Spirit cannot endow you with tremendous gifts if you are not able to hold them. You know, you see this precisely in the world today, in governments in the world today, where there are certain individuals worldwide who get given certain governmental uh, responsibilities and they have no idea of rulership. They have no idea how to look after people. They have no idea how to sustain what they are given. They are completely untrained for the work. And these people normally fall out. They normally fall apart. They are normally the people who have complete nervous breakdowns because they are not sufficiently trained to sustain the work that they are doing. If you want to be an ascended master, if you want to be... Um, truly a, a wonderful being that ascends, you have to allow yourself to be trained so that you can sustain the energies of God as an ascended being. If you can't sustain them, you can't ascend. It's really that simple. If you can't manage energy, you have to learn how to manage energy. You have to learn how to drive a car. Just because you've got a fancy car in front of you and you've got the rudiments of driving, you can't just jump in and drive a car in midstream traffic. Does it make sense at all? Yes, no, that makes perfect sense, you know. And your energy, the allotment of your energy, I suppose you have to learn how to manage that, and that in itself requires patience. It it requires tremendous skill to learn how to utilize energy. The, the, The little caricature that I could give you now actually goes to the animated movie of The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Okay, and what happens is the sorcerer steps out and the apprentice goes mad and he gets the broom and all the dishes to wash and clean themselves. And at the end of the day, what did he do? He ended up drowning out the entire kitchen with tons of water and soap and all that. He made it such an incredible mess that the sorcerer had to come and sort out because actually he had no idea what he was doing. He didn't know how to wield power. It's learning to wield the sword of Christ. And the sword of Christ is the cross, because the cross and the sword are one and the same thing. If you do not know how to wield power, it will destroy you. It's that simple. Yeah, and that comes down to um, using power in such a way that others benefit from it, not that you 
control them to the extent that they can't benefit from it. I think that's one of the biggest problems we have today with politics. Mm -hmm. How to be a politician, but to be a politician in such a way that others benefit from your leadership. Well, you, you see, people have to learn how to lead, and to lead means that you must roll your sleeves up and not be noticed. The greatest leaders of mankind have always been those who have been seen in the trench as well, right up to their knees and chin in it as well, where you you ask for the leader and you can't find him because he's actually as full of mud as the rest of his people. That is a true leader. Sitting on some pontifical seat and pointing a finger and pressing buttons is not leadership. That's delegation, and people are very fond of delegating. It's very simple to delegate and tell people what to do, but to actually lead, to lead requires courage and nobility, foresight, insight. It requires a lot of things. It requires tremendous humility that at the end of the day, if you're going to lead, um, just as General Patton led America out of World War II, what really was inside the soul of that individual? What is inside the soul of a person who can lead people out of that kind of thing? and not take the credit for it. This is the whole thing, is that people today want the credit for everything they do, realizing that God is, is the doer. They are not doing it. No matter how much your attainment is, um, God is the doer. And this is what we are constantly reminded of. I have been taught again and again that some of the most humble beings amongst the ascended masters are, for example, Gautama Buddha himself, is one of and renowned to be with Afro, one of the most humble masters you will ever meet. He will not take credit for anything. He still to this hour gives it all to God. Who on earth is going to do that? Jesus does not take credit for his power. It is God's power, even though God gave him all power in heaven and earth, in this world and in all systems to come. He sits on the right-hand side of Almighty God. And yet I have been before the presence of the great cosmic Christ Jesus. What a humble being. What a humble, humble being. The great regent of our universe, Sanat Kumar, has been known to make this statement, I am just a humble man. And yet he's the regent of this cosmos. In other words, all glory to God. All glory to God. All glory to God. So humility is quite a huge thing. It's one thing to hold office, to hold responsibility, to hold ten attainment, but are you willing as the individual, be you man or woman, to hand over the reins to God? Are you willing to say that if I achieve, it's because God is in here and not me? That's a very, very thin line because most people are negating God. As St. Germain said to me yesterday, most people spend hundreds of embodiments negating God. It's not just in this love. You'll find that People who are very, very intense at a particular point of view have been doing it for a long time. That's what St. Germain said. You have a very aggressive point of view and you're very intent. You've been like that for hundreds of years. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> time to review some of my strong uh, opinions. <laughs> no, but we're talking about something that affects masses, my dear, as well. And yes, it's something we need to look at. If you have a particular habit in your point of view that actually is not very complementary to who you are, others can see it and so on and so forth, and you tend to push through very, very, push through, sorry, very strongly on certain levels. You've been doing it for many lifetimes because it's a habit. You see, the masters say to you already that once is already too much. You do it once, it's immediately a habit. You do it once, it's already a habit. It's there. It's already touched you. 
And if you are not sufficiently trained and tempered, if the sword of your consciousness or your truth is not sufficiently tempered in the great artisserie fires of the great artisserie of divine metals of the soul, then how on earth will you forge the sword of your truth? You want to plunge it into everything and anything you can find. And what do we have today? People forcing their points of view on everybody. We have governments forcing a particular standpoint on everybody. What is that? Telling people how to live. How can you do that? When you don't take the individual, they are saying in a nutshell, individuals don't exist. This is a complete and utter denial of God. Which means that you as an individual do not exist. It cancels you out. It completely annihilates your individuality. Yeah, that is, uh, that's quite a thought because that's exactly what's happening throughout the world right now. And... Um, we are living in such an amazing age, a tremendous, tremendous transition and awakening that we needs to happen. Yes, but they, it's a very important um, experience to have. People need to meet that, unfortunately. People need to meet that thwarting of their own being to realize just how asleep they've been and that they've handed over the reins, so to speak, and they've gone very nicely to sleep in their comfort zones. And therefore, what has happened is the enemy comes up counts coup as the Native American would call it and therefore they take over your village as it were and then what do you do you have now this despotic ruler in your village telling you what to do and how to live when meanwhile you've been asleep on the job you haven't taken care of the situation really what it truly means is that humanity's been asleep fast asleep in the luxury of materialism and illusion it's not a luxury actually it's a nightmare yeah, so we we'll actually let them in through the front door. Yes. Oh dear. Well, now we have to wake up so we can take them and throw them out through the front door. You see, the Masters teach this way, Ralph, is that Al Moria is particularly fond of teaching this way. He will tell you this. Because people say, I don't know how all these thoughts come about. And the Masters will say, but you entertain them, which people do. You entertain the thoughts mm. that are in your mind. The master will put it to you this way. Would you let a tramp come and sleep on your, la your lawn? Would you allow a tramp to just walk into your home and fall all over your couch and sleep on your couch? This is what we do. We allow tramp thoughts that are not our own to enter our mind, the living room of our consciousness where the Christ consciousness is, and to just take over and ruin the entire place. You entertain tramp thoughts. You entertain other people's opinions. You are entertaining tramp thoughts. You are allowing them to come through your mind. The whole premise of Buddhism and Gautama Buddha was on this, Ralph, was to teach you not to entertain thought that is not your own. And, of course, the question rises, well, how will I know if it's not my own? The only way you will know is to sit quietly and to meditate and to meditate on moral law. And moral law was the Dharma. It was the bringing in and lowering into the physical octave of the Dharma. And the turning of the Dharma wheel was moral law. It was to bring moral law to humanity again. And the moral law is the Holy Christ and, and the Holy Buddha precept of the soul. In other words, those things which we just do not do to self and to one another. And when you transgress those laws, there are obviously consequences. Yeah. And we always, and the biggest and saddest thing that Gautama taught was that ignorance was the excuse. And if you break the word up, it means to ignore, which is a choice. Ignorance has got nothing to do with how intelligent you are. 
There are some extremely intelligent people out there who are extremely ignorant at the same time because they are ignoring. They are ignoring the writing on the wall. You are ignoring what is happening. And so consequently, your problems come home to roost. They manifest. And this is actually out of non-forgiveness. Can you believe it? The whole premise of mankind today, as Kuan Yin gave to me yesterday, actually rests on this imbalance. It is non-forgiveness which means lack of patience and no tolerance. Hmm. Oh, that's... So the key virtue today to achieve is to forgive. Well, I think you're right there. Uh, I, I see people really struggling with this idea of forgiving. <clears throat> the sense of righteousness or self-righteousness, unfortunately, has been plagiarized to quite a huge extent. And people are very, very fond of their own self-righteousness. They're very fond of their own sense of vindication. And they're not prepared to explore it beyond there. They feel that their own self-righteousness has been transgressed, therefore I will not forgive. But, you know, we, we are often reminded again by the Ascended Masters that oh, there have been many, many lifetimes where in the same situation um, we ourselves have been in, in what we face now. And we wanted forgiveness, you see. And so we meet a situation now where sometimes we are not forgiven because we didn't forgive in a previous life mm. because we were stubborn enough and refused to forgive. So you find situations overtaking your life that you find so unjust. St. Germain made it very clear on Sunday night, didn't he? He said there's no injustice in the world whatsoever right now. Oh, that is a huge sweeping statement for the average person to swallow. What do you mean there's no injustice in the world? There's no injustice in the world right now. All is perfect. And we have to look at that very carefully. Really? Is it? It is perfect, as it is right now. Hmm. So, this returning karma is um, the, the thing that is needed. It is justice. And it's perfect justice. Well, yeah, you're right there. A lot of people won't be able to accept that. But anyway, that's where we are right now, and every single country in the world is in that situation. This is something I'd like to just bring in here, the Master's just flashed through, is that the law, the, the mosaic law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth, Jesus abolished. Karma doesn't work like that. You slap me, I'm going to slap you back. Okay, um, I'm giving you that as an extreme example. <laughs> Um, you see kids doing that to each other, you see, and the one kid slaps the one and the other slaps them straight back. <laughs> we look at that situation, yes, he hit me, you know that one? Um, so if we just take a look at that for a little bit and we'll see that that is where mankind is today, is because that law has been abolished, okay? If you punch me, I'm going to punch you back. Um, we've got to look at the fact that maybe you earned that punch in another lifetime, you see. And then, of course, as the masters sometimes say to me, is that sometimes in the retreats the people will say, well, how am I supposed to know that? I can't remember that I punched Fred on his nose two lifetimes ago. <laughs> <laughs> you see? <laughs> so in this lifetime, Fred comes along and he's bearing you a certain amount of manners because you broke his nose when you hit him. You see, he's going to take it out on you in this life because you made his life an absolute misery etc etc and lo and behold it takes very little provocation and whoops you get punched out of the blue just for being there as someone I once knew like to often say just for being there okay so at the end of the day we have to look at that just for being there scenario and ask ourselves what is it truly this is where humility has to be born 
um, Buddhism is very fond, even the great Mahayani Orthodox wheel of Buddhism, uh, which although it includes um, reincarnation, it doesn't enter into it as an occult theology, you see, whereas Tibetan Buddhism is the full occult and, and knowledge and understanding of the in-house occult meaning hidden, the in-house esoteric teachings of Gautama Buddha, whereas you would look at Orthodox Buddhism and the Mahayani wheel, the great wheel, very much in the principle actually as like the Catholic Church itself, although they do embrace it very intensely. Uh, we have to look at what this teaching really is. Is You've got to be very, very humble. Uh, some of the very great Tibetan tulkuls, which is basically like a, a king, they are so, so advanced that they are called the tulku or the king, the Tibetan god kings. Um, they are reincarnations of, of of very, very advanced, incredible beings of the light who come in. In fact, the greatest tulku or tathagata of all was Gautama himself and uh, Padmasambhava. Is we have to be humble. We have to say, just what if maybe, uh, um, okay, uh, you know, I, I might have just punched Fred on the nose two lifetimes ago. And therefore, I have my just reward. But there's an inflammatory sense of, how dare you? You see? And we rise up and we want to be very aggressive about it and we want to deal with it. It's interesting to note that the great symbol of Saturn is the returning karma in Capricorn. And as you've got it there on your one screen, the negative response of Capricorn is aggression. Isn't it, Ralph? Uh, the virtues of the, the planets and the star signs and so on, the virtues of the um, astrological signs are something one should actually meditate on and look for and go into astrology a little bit deeper than the rather ambiguous uh, <laughs> topographical view that astrology has today. You've got to really start meditating on these virtues because if, if we look at aggression, what is the opposite of aggression? It's actually humility isn't it? Yeah. It's humility. If you're not humble, you're going to be aggressive. Yeah. Okay, you're going to be very, very, uh, the world critic, full of judgment and obsessive ideas and so on and so forth because you're determined to actually bring to bear your point of view, in other words, you've lost, again, self-control or God-control and all the rest of it. So if we don't have humility, we are very aggressive. Yeah. Well, there you go. So this um, return of karma is actually <laughs> to teach it's us patience complex. and to teach us humanity, really. Well, I think that um, we're coming towards an end of the year now. And in a way, we've seen many things happen this year, but I think we're going to see more things happen next year. Because as we started off talking about it, this uh, talk, we've got this key uh, conjunction, Jupiter and Saturn conjunction, on the zero degrees of Aquarius, and that's going to bring in love. Love is the opportunity through this conjunction. But the, the negative, of course, is anger, malicious words, dislikes, all these have to come to the for to be balanced. See, the biggest issue here also, which which any ascendant being will teach you, is 
um, hardness of heart. It is is the hardness of heart. The heart. The masters have described it. Lord Maitreya describes it quite distinctly, where he says, the heart almost becomes like the symbol of the oyster. You can't find the heart because it's it's locked inside a shell that's so hard you can't penetrate it. That even the person can't find it anymore. That we we actually forget who and what we are because the heart is hardened. And why does the heart harden? Because of tremendous difficulties of our karmas and we see other events which we consider very unjust and so on and so forth. And therefore we close over, the heart closes over. Sometimes it's good to look at it from the word of shutting down. We shut down, we close over because the pain is so intense. In fact, I think it was either Saint Germain or Mother Mary who who, uh, gave this particular teaching that babies, uh, little babies, the hardening of the heart already starts there, Ralph, uh, in the infancy, actually starts there where the heart starts to harden because if it doesn't, um, and they allow it, it actually has to happen. This is the irony, this is the ambiguity of the Tao, if you like, or, or, or the Tao, the Teo, and the ambiguity of the Teo is that if the heart doesn't harden, we can't grow because it is so sensitive. The little one has just come through from the other side Okay, and where there's only love, and you come into a world where actually you meet its antithesis first before you meet anything else. The mother, in nine times out of ten, is normally under a lot of duress. She often has to give birth under extreme circumstances and has very little support around her, etc., etc. So she's already got a certain amount of irritation and so on and so forth in her own being. So he, the baby or the little girl, will meet aggression in the mother first before they meet it anywhere else in the world. And then they meet it with, with whoever are the parents or caregivers and siblings and so on and so forth. And so from birth, even in the womb, this experience of, I do not want to go there. In fact, the masters have said, do you know that there are some souls? And when we say some, we're talking about hundreds and thousands who when make, they make transition, they refuse to come back here. They will not reincarnate here. They are willing to go elsewhere into other planetary bodies, but they find it so unbearable here. They will not return here under any circumstances. They refuse to do it, and they often delay their karma by it, because sometimes these individuals have rather intense karma with certain individuals and experiences and and life waves and so on within the planet. They don't, unfortunately, have any choice but to return here. They might have free will, but they don't have the choice as to where that free will will play out, you see. So... Yes, it seems almost a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? To say, well, goodness me, the Masters are saying the hardness of heart. We mustn't have it, but on the other hand, we must have it. It's a bit of a a, a misnomer in a sense, you see, but it's the ambiguous nature of the Tao, isn't it? That unless we are able to shut off just a little, withdraw just a little, how will we reflect? How will we go inward? How will we find Christ if we are constantly battered and um, and abused and pushed around to the extent where we kind of bludgeoned out of existence. Again, there's a very sort of very fine line between there, where we also have the choice. This is the complexity, Ralph, not to harden to such an extent we cannot even find our own heart, let alone someone else trying to find it in us. That we cannot in, invariably we are the last. Invariably, what it does take is great random acts of kindness, um, love, and all sorts of things that happen. You meet someone, you fall in love, and so on and so forth, to soften the heart, to open the heart. So um, that's a very interesting thing, that as well. Often people say, well, why do we have to fall in love? It never lasts. Sometimes we have to have the heart softened. 
Cupid Ains is, is arrow and we have to have the heart to soften, you see, mm. because the heart hardens and we don't realize just how much we've allowed the heart to harden because of all the things that are going in the world and because of also the extremity of perhaps some of the very difficult experiences we've had to deal with, which has caused us immense, immense pain. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And this question of hardness of heart is one of the trials under Aquarius. So, and Jupiter and Saturn is now going into this Aquarius, so this is indeed, we can expect in this new cycle next year, uh, events that is going to soften our hearts and uh, deal with this comic repercussion of hardness of heart because uh, although we need it there are a lot of people who have well they shut off completely you yeah, see. Quite, they shut right. down to such an extent that they shut God out completely as well Yeah, you know one of the things I've had discussions with other people with and on a very hot very 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 politically hot subject is social distancing I am I'm not going to say I'm for it or not for it I'm actually simply discussing that mankind has brought this upon himself why because we social distance in our mind we are so class oriented in our mind and we're so holier than thou in our mind we won't mix with this or that one or do this for this and that one that there's a form of a mental emotional social distancing that is constantly practiced all the time it's a form of a segregation you know, where you separate yourself or from others because you believe you're better than them. That is social distancing. It's, it's, it's a form of, of, of social maladjustment, you see. And the pathological um, social circumstances of today are the actual manifestation of this malady in mankind. Sociopathic people, in other words, someone who is really quite insane and very destructive in society, are normally the results of this kind of thing where... You know, what is, the, what is the greatest pain ever known to mankind, Ralph? Do you know what that is? Rejection. Yeah. It's rejection. To feel rejected by someone. Why? Because our self-worth is up for dabs. Our self-worth is so low that when we feel any form of external rejection, we crumble. You see, and why do we crumble? Because the pain is unbearable. But if we take that and invert it back, we were the ones who rejected God in the first place which is why we are where we are. That's why rejection is such a moot point in mankind. In any individual who's awakening, who's so struggling with being rejected by others, for whatever reason, I'm not just talking about love relationships, for whatever reason we experience rejection, uh, we didn't get the job, someone else got it, we receive it as a form of rejection, you see. And why is this thing of rejection so extremely painful? Even animals cannot bear rejection. It is the most astounding thing in nature to see how there's a one emotion the animal can't deal with. If you reject the animal, what do animals do, particularly domestic animals? They start tearing their fur off their body. They start actually attacking themselves because they don't feel worthy. When an animal does not feel self-worth, it will actually destroy itself. You hmm. see. So this question of re rejection is quite a big topic, I, I think. And that must be at the root cause of the fall of humanity. We're going to have a, a quick short break now and, um, and then we will come back and we'll continue where we're leaving off now and that is this impact of rejection. Hercules the 
descend, Hercules descend, Elohim of cosmic blue firelight. Hercules defend, Hercules defend, seal us in your aura shining bright. So this new cycle, which is coming up now, which Aquarius has got a lot to do with, one of these things that will be coming forward in this next year is to heal your relationship with God. Because as Anna just explained to me, quite fascinating, that many people have to heal their relationship with God because they are angry. They are angry with God. And could you say more about that, please, Anna Kalima? This is a subject that St. Germain has spent a lot of time on, particularly in the I Am discourses he released in 1930, or the 1930s. Um, 
use this very topic. You know, you can't ascend unless you heal your relationship with God. And what is that really about? Well, first of all, you have to really be humble enough to acknowledge that um, you didn't create yourself. You didn't create the body you, you live in so freely and all its wonders, regardless of the karmic burdens you might carry in your body. It's still a magnificent instrument um, out of which we, we can live, move and have our being. Okay, so so we know that in the true uh, history of mankind, mankind has actually fallen three times. What is the fall of mankind is a fall from grace. And now if we fall from grace, what happens is your consciousness descends further and further into matter. Uh, we were all what we term now as ascended beings once. We were we not we were all there. We were all part of living in the great etheric cities of light or what is more deeply understood today is Jerusalem. Okay, and the whole connotation around Jerusalem is a very, very vast and wide one and is actually to do with the ancient of days and to do with Sanat Kumara, uh, who who is the the apex of of what Jerusalem really stands for. So we have to understand that we feel that we were not, listen to this carefully, responsible for the fall. Uh, we fell together and therefore we want to blame God for it. Why do we blame God? Because we're not back in our true state of where we were. In other words, we have to reincarnate. Uh, most of mankind are very angry with God that they have to face death. Because deep in the soul of every human being, they know they are immortal. But I must face death. I must die. And I must be reborn and start as a baby and learn to sit up and walk and crawl and eat baby food and go back to school all over again and again and again and again. This is where the anger lies. I'm actually an immortal being. Why do I have to go through the humiliation of having to reincarnate through someone I might not want to be with as a parent, etc. So these things are huge. And therefore we start to build up subconsciously in the deep, um, in the plus and minus, the negative and positive. So the matter plane is always the negative. The omega consciousness or the subconscious mind of mankind is always in the negative. And please, it is not in any way connotated to the emotion of negativity it is the same as a blueprint you either have a positive or negative blueprint um, so the blueprint or the negative component of the subconscious mind holds the records of every life you've ever had or the feelings or the emotions actions interactions or lack of thereof okay is sitting there we call it akasha we call it the Akashic Records. And everyone in physical embodiment is part of those Akashic Records because we all interact with one another. There's only one God and only one Christ consciousness and one Buddhic consciousness. Hence the mystery of the multiplication of the body of God. You can have thousands of Buddhas, but there's only one Buddhic principle. There's only one Christic cosmic Christ principle in Christ. Okay. So what we've got to look at is that the point of anger is that we don't want to take responsibility for our part in the fall, you see. And then therefore we are angry with God that we have to keep reincarnating and meet apparently the same tests again and again. In the very proverbial beginning when we were given the choice to remain or go, we chose free will. Some of us chose free will, you see, which means we go out. 
Free will means you have to go into the matter plane and experience evolution. Uh, Saint Germain's twin flame, for example, did not take that route. She has remained celestial, as an example. Okay, same as Lord Maitreya's twin flame is celestial and has not ever incarnated. That is the choice, also a be between twin flame and the individual choice thereof, whether one goes out and the other one stays, one on this side of the river and one on that side of the river. But at the end of the day, those of us who are uh, taken, or have, sorry, taken free will and entered into the matter plane, knew the risks that are involved. There are risks that are involved. Saint Germain makes it very clear. When you enter the physical octave, in other words, when you re-embody, there are no guarantees that things will happen as you hope they will because of free will because of the movement of other individuals free will because of the multiplicity of of different kinds of thinking and approaches to thinking and so on and so forth and the tremendous tremendous amount of soul training and psychological training that takes place in thousands and thousands of embodiments so at the end of the day there is a deep deep um, wound we can call it that the soul wound the wound of the soul is that we feel that God didn't tell us the truth uh, God cheated on us and therefore we've had to experience all this when really and truly uh, we do, didn't do anything to deserve it and this of course always comes under that unfortunate uh, heading of whether we are going to be filled with love enough to realize that in taking on embodiment we had to take that sacrifice even Jesus Christ, avatar that he was, uh, he, he reincarnated, he's had other embodiments. He took the choice to come in and bear that cross. Okay, and we can never ever, there is not a single human being on this planet, in or out of embodiment, that can ever repay Jesus Christ for what he did. The debt is too high. No one can ever repay him for what he did there. And the misunderstanding of what he did that it truly stands for will go on for centuries, yet still before it's clearly understood. You see, this is how profound the incarnation of Christ into the physical body really is. It was the greatest sacrifice God ever made, was to allow the actual Christ consciousness to enter into the mortal sphere, to enter into flesh and blood, because it is pure, it is stainless, it is absolutely perfect. Why must it incarnate? And yet it did in Jesus, you see. So if we ever want to look at anger and our anger at God, we have to take the charismatic sting out of Jesus and look at him as the man for he was as mortal as you and I yet a very 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 advanced bearer of the light to the point he actually was an avatar okay so advanced was his attainment the fact is he still wore flesh and blood the fact is he still loved the fact is he still had to deal with his own threshold the fact is he met his twin flame Magdalena and married her he was a rabbi it is Jewish law you cannot be a rabbi unless you are married all these things that were removed out of the Bible are in blasphemy to the true rabbinic law. He was a rabbi. And when he was taken down off the cross, only the wife is allowed to touch the body of the deceased. Only the wife. It's rabbinic law. It was not Mother Mary. It was Magdalena who took him down, who was there by his body, who anointed him with spikenard. And why do I mention these things? Because we have to stand and look and say, if anyone had a right to be angry, it was Jesus. And yet look what he took on. And in fact, what did he do when he was on the cross? Nailed to the cross like a, a barbarian. And there were many out there who could quite frankly have gone up there in his place and deserved it. 
and yet is he hung there? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is the greatest act of compassion and forgiveness ever rendered unto mankind. And if anyone had a right to be angry, it was the Christ. Now that's quite a thought, Anakanima. That's truly quite a thought. Yeah. It is even brings total sadness to my heart if you think of such an advanced being having to go through the crucifixion. You, you know, there's a story, I'm sorry to butt in, Ralph, there's a story that, you know, we know for a fact that consciousness is in everything. And this is a fact, this story, because it was found. And it was being validated by the masters as well. You know, they had to create nails to nail into his hands and feet. There were meant to be four nails, Ralph. His both feet were meant to be nailed, or not one. Why is it Jesus' feet were folded over and nailed, impaled over both feet, one, one nail? Do people ever ask that question? I will tell you that as strange as this might seem, that iron itself was offended and the smithies who were carving those things could not bend that nail. It refused to be brought into manifestation to go through his feet. That iron itself was offended. Now you can do that, good listeners, what you like with that. It doesn't matter. It stands as it is right now. That iron, the consciousness, because all things have consciousness, refused to actually persecute the Christ. It's no fairy tale. Wow. Because we don't have any understanding, you see, Ralph, really of the power, the principle, and the cosmic majesty and righteousness of the Christ consciousness. How glorious, how absolutely perfect it truly is. How magnificent the Christ consciousness is. All pervading. You know, people say, what is Christ? I will say to you, the best way I can teach you is to tell you, Ralph, Christ is the consciousness of God. The cosmic Christ consciousness is his consciousness. It is the Son of God. We are told when we ascend we become sons, living, whirling sons. The light of the Christ is that of the sun. You see the whirling sun of Helios and Vesta, for example, the sun of the God and Goddess Maru, which is the particular sun, and I put that in inverted comments, that lights our day every day on either hemisphere, north or south, you see. Okay, so the Son of God is Christ the Son of God. In other words, His consciousness is the Son. It is the great central Son. So the Christ consciousness in Jesus, He was an aspect of the solar Logi, great central Son consciousness that actually incarnated into the flesh and blood. You cannot even begin to comprehend His incredible holiness and who He truly was. You see, so I say to you, I say to you, my listeners, just for a moment, regardless of your beliefs, look at righteousness. Look at the righteousness of Gautama Buddha. Look at the righteousness of very great beings who truly were living, walking expressions of noble, divine love. Find it in your heart. Touch it in the core of your being because your heart must respond to it. If it doesn't, there's a problem. You must be able to acknowledge divinity. 
you see, when you acknowledge divinity, you are actually acknowledging your own divinity. You're acknowledging your own Christ consciousness. You are actually feeling quite compatible with Christ. And St. Germain has stated it again and again, it is not a sin to do so. It is not a sin to feel compatible with Christ. Not at all. So we go back to the power of forgiveness. If anyone had the right to judge, it was Jesus, and he didn't. The Christ himself could have judged the judgment of all judgments, but he didn't. He forgave while he was hanging there dying. So we need to look at it and we say, well, I'm not Jesus. Well, that's, of course, I'm not even going to go there. If people say that, well, then that, that is a complete nihilistic, defeatist comment. Okay, the fact is that whether you like it or not, the Christ is in you. Whether it is in Jesus, whether it is in Lord Babaji, whether it is in the man standing in front of you or the woman crossing the road, the Christ is everywhere, you see. So righteousness is around us all. It's everywhere in front of us and it is within our own selves. So we've got to ask ourselves, what really then is the root cause of anger and rebellion? Uh, Lanello had a very wonderful way of putting it and saying that from the comic board point of view, they always look when it comes to actual judgment, in other words, to look at someone's karma they've incurred. They are always extremely compassionate because often at the root of everyone's karmic equation is a condemnation and judgment of the fallen angels, which they project onto us, you see. And we unfortunately adopt it ourselves. So often a lot of the anger and judgment we feel is not even our own. But we perpetuate it, you see, because we're not awake. We're not re we've got this tramp living in our room, you see, this fallen tramp of consciousness in our room, and we're entertaining this being, liking this being's rebellious ideas, and we become exponents of those ideas. Have you ever seen this situation in your own life, Ralph? And I give this particularly as an example as you are now a retired teacher but with all and you specifically work mostly with teenagers god bless you <laughs> all your life um but if you in some of the very rambunctious and rebellious teenagers because they loved you very dearly i've known you a very long time i have known some of the incredible unswerving loyalty some of these teenagers have given you and often they were probably known in your spirit schools you've taught as being the most rebellious yet in them in that moment did you not find them to be the most profoundly honest? Yeah. Is that not an interesting ambiguity? Is the yeah. most profoundly honest? Is that sometimes we say at the end of the day, I don't know why I did what I did. You know, the Ascended Master, um, Hilarion, who was Saul of Tarsus, has stated, I've read it in some of his releases, where still to this day he says he will sometimes bury his head in his hands to think he did what he did before Christ took him. And yet he was also known as a very rebellious being. He was rebellious. He says, I was rebellious. I was a very rebellious man. And yet, out of that incredible rebellion, Christ took him. Why? It's a very, very important question to look at. <laughs> yep, that's um, profound. <laughs> Actually, very profound. And um, you've also once said that... Um, the masters often choose the mavericks of the world to achieve certain things. And when one looks at some of these mavericks, one will think, goodness gracious me, he's a bit uh, rebellious. What a rebellious individual. 
and yet he has the very capacity and quality to achieve what uh, the masses need um, and that is to stand within themselves and to take, be able to take a stand well if you don't take a stand you will be stood upon <laughs> look at it if you don't take a stand you will be stood upon and that's quite something to look at in its in its ambiguity because there's always someone who's going to stand on you if you don't take a stand you see and if you take a stand then you have to stand underneath your iron presence and if you stand and take a stand under your iron presence then you will understand <laughs> that's how the masters teach me if you stand underneath the umbrella of your iron presence you will begin to understand who you are <laughs> because actually you stand on the rock of christ itself you know, I once had a most ex extraordinary uh, vision given to me. I was uh, quite a lot younger and very much still in my rebellious modes. And um, yet searching, always searching, searching, searching. Um, and often we don't realize just how deeply we're searching for the Christ, whether it's in the Masters or in one another, and obviously paramountly within the Self. Anyway, in this, in this incredible, like, I, I've, I've always told you, I have visions in full color. I don't uh, dream in, in black and white. In full color, I'm in this incredible forest. And I've always been, as you've known of me earlier, and I, I love hiking, I did a lot of hiking and so on. It was one of my most passionate outdoor activities. And in, in this, I'm doing that, you see, I'm hiking, and I see this immense... Uh, a boulder and it was bush as we know in Africa we don't call it forests here for my overseas listeners we call it the bush here and I was hiking in 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 this bush this wonderful African bush and I saw a, a whole lot of boulders and I loved rock climbing I still do of course the body doesn't yield when you reach my age as it used to but I used to be able to scale these rocks without too much problem when I was a lot younger and in this vision I'm climbing over these rocks and so on and so forth and I get to a particular boulder Ralph uh, was really seriously quite rounded actually at one point and I decided in this vision you know what I'm climbing this thing that's it I'm taking on the challenge I'm gonna go and get to the top of this rock I don't care if I slip and fall and hurt myself I'm going up and I'm climbing and I'm getting up and then when I get to a certain point where I realize and I'm puffing and panting and, and carrying on and the sweat in the vision is pouring down my face I'm thinking this is more hard work than I thought <laughs> and, uh, I get to what I would have believed was sort of the top. I saw a pair of sandaled feet there. And they were standing on the top of that rock. You see. And I knew who they were. Because the sandaled feet belonged to Jesus. And when I looked up, he was there. And that was the vision, you see. And you would understand something. I looked straight. I put my forehead straight onto his feet. I saw his feet in the t typical sandals of the time. Had it been the Galilean type of sandal, a man would wear then. Okay, very simple straps over the heel, foot and toes, very simple uh, leather crafting sandals. And unmistakably the Christ. And I actually stood, sort of, I was a bit like, felt a bit like a spider or a lizard clinging to the side of this rock, <laughs> <laughs> looking in these feet and absolutely struck dumb into silence to realize that the rock I had searched for the most was Christ and the reason I loved the rock climbing was I was looking for Christ in that rock and I found him you see hmm. because that rock was the foundation of his presence within me hmm. 
What a lovely story, Anekanema. Thank you for sharing these uh, gems from your life that, and, and from your vision, visionary life. That is truly uh, uh, a gem indeed. So, we're going to have another song now and then we'll continue. Uh, as usual, we enjoy ourselves here with these wonderful comments that uh, Anakalima brings and uh, we send out into the world here on Blue Lotus Radio.
And so we're back again, and we win. Just uh, Annika Lima was just sharing with us a most amazing uh, vision that she had about climbing up a, a rock face with determination and arriving at the top and seeing the feet of uh, a sandaled feet of beloved Jesus. Thank you for sharing these very uh, personal experiences, Annika Lima. Yeah, the sandal feet, all the feet. I mean, the feet are your destiny, and the sandal feet are also the symbol of Pisces as well. And um, when you arrive at that point, uh, it means it's your destiny to walk the path of the Christ, the cosmic Christ, you see. And that the tremendous effort you make in in your physical extremities, in, in like I did, I used to hike and so on. Um, I used to, at a dear friend of mine, he and I, uh, we were just friends, but we used to hike sometimes up to 8 to 12 kilometers a week, but not on open flat ground. We used to hike cliffs and, and so on, and, and sides of, of very high hills and things. I wouldn't call them mountains, because our mountains are, are pretty far out here in South Africa. They're not just sort of around the corner for anyone who's listening overseas. Um, but we do have some very steep cliffs and things and jagged edges and so on with all sorts of very, very rough terrain, which um, a lot of hikers enjoy very, very much. They used to buy those very specific hiking boots, you know, that support the back of the ankle and so on. So that was very, very, very fit and enjoyed it very, very much. Um, but if you look at the intensity with which you pour into something like that, it's actually very interesting to find that a lot of our passions behind them lies the Christ. We do something and we don't realize. And I mean, I actually, in my counseling work, Ralph, you know, I've counseled in you know various um, regions around South Africa. When I ran my business in in Johannesburg, um, I counseled a an Everest climber, Ralph. Did you know that? And this gentleman used to come to me. He was a fully trained. Um, uh, he'd been up Everest. He'd been all the way up. And in fact, when he came to me to see me, it was his last climb because he was. 45 and they said to him he's not going to be able to do it for much longer apparently you can only go it at a certain point particularly the heights that he went to and he'd been spending a lot of his time training his son who wanted to walk in his shoes i'm only mentioning him because there was a very profound highly trained extremely alert extremely interesting man that often or not i felt guilty because he ended up more talking to me than i ever counseled him even though he paid for his sessions because i was so my mouth just fell open listening to what this man went through climbing Mount Everest and the humble what a humble man Ralph what an incredibly humble soul a big man a big solid body as in big in the sense very not 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 going to gym big this is a man who has built his body out of mountain climbing okay he's solid as the rock and the mountain himself very fit with a neck like a bull and yet biceps and arms that the average man in gym would die for or yet it's all coming from mountain climbing nothing to do with that and yet there was this man who had actually reached the peaks of Everest and to go through those extremities of Everest do you know I discovered interestingly the other day there is a beautiful lady she's an African lady who's climbing Everest and this lady turned around and said do you know that at a certain point she comes from South Africa by the way this woman she's a beautiful woman 
She says at a certain point, or you can hike for a certain time going up, but there's a camp, there's base at a certain point where you have to sign an indemnity form because the chances are you might not come back. You have to actually sign everything over. You have to complete your will. You have to sign it over as to who gets what and what happens to your body if you don't make it. Oh, is you not allowed to climb Everest? It's quite interesting, hey? And he did this. He had to sign these forms as well and went all the way up. And I cannot imagine anyone who can endure extreme of weather like that, bitterly cold and incredible, intense, powerful winds and jagged peaks and all the rest of it and so on and so forth and not be humble. Yet what is in behind him? Was he not? Is he not? I don't know where this gentleman is today. He's probably now fully retired. He certainly made his lot in life and wrote books and so on. Um, <clears throat> was he not searching for Christ at the end of the day? Because the higher the mountain, the higher we are searching. The higher the the mountain of attainment. You, you know, interestingly enough as well, Saint Germain showed me that, do you know that the third eye in the crown chakra is called the head of the mountain? <laughs> And then the and the mountain of attainment and the mountain of Maitreya is actually your crown chakra and <laughs> your third eye. Mm. So the climb in mankind in his evolution is from the base chakra all the way up. We are actually climbing all the way up and we get a bit lost at the solar plexus. <laughs> we get stuck there for centuries actually because we can never reach the heart, you see. In fact, some of us get stuck even in the sacral center. We never rise beyond there. We never even reach the solar plexus, you see. And the whole idea is that you've actually even got to climb from the heart into the third eye and into the crown, which is actually enlightenment. That will be for another chat, another time. What we're looking at now is the humility that brings about such actions and obviously the need to forgive mountaineers who have to go in packs. You can't climb alone. Um, they have to have a certain relationship with one another, don't they? Oh, yeah. Otherwise they can't climb. Yeah. They have to, their whole life depends on it. So there is, there's nothing, there's not, a, you have to be transparent. There's none of this nonsense of mood swings and all the rest of it. You have to work completely with one another. Otherwise, you can all die. Yeah, no, it's a team. It's a team that is prepared beforehand. Yeah, that's quite an amazing um, analogy you bring the, the, yeah, this morning. Have Everest and climbing up uh, the to the peak of your own consciousness. So we all are mountaineers, actually. We're yes. all busy climbing the mountain. Maitreya's mountain is actually your crown chakra. <laughs> and we're busy climbing from the base chakra all the way up, you see. And in actual fact, the solar plexus is fallen. The solar plexus is your sun center and is meant to be where your heart is. Okay, And your sacral center, your soul center, is meant to be where the eye is. You see, and the power of speech is actually in the base chakra. It's meant to be where your throat chakra is. It's fallen because it's the power of creation, you see. The power of creation is the phahatic word, let there be light. And where has it fallen? To the kund in, into the base, and the kundalini powers have fallen from the throat into the base chakra. And therefore, we have to climb all the way back up again. And to reach the summit of attainment is to reach Maitreya's mountain, which is the crown chakra, which sits above the physical head. It's slightly a little bit above. It's not in it. It's above it. And the seat of Christ consciousness, or what is known in various parts of India as the etheric Christ, sits in the third eye, or the all-seeing eye of God, 
in Elohim is actually the seat of Christ consciousness. So in fact your soul, which must climb from your sacral center all the way up to the third eye, is the sun or Christ consciousness. You know, Claire Denis gave some wonderful teachings and one of them I remember in part thereof was inordinate desire is to do with the fall of vision and Scorpio. And that the two chakras, the base chakra and the soul chakra, slightly above it, um, in the middle of the abdomen, is actually to do with this fall, is to do with the power of speech, the power of creativity, and obviously the power of sexuality or co-creativity with the cosmic Christ principles and who we are. And that when we see something, we want it, right? We want, 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 want. And what happens is we don't always get either, do we? Okay, and often when we sit with these very distended bellies, and I say this with absolute compassion to anyone who has had to undergo this, I've even had to undergo it myself and overcome it. So when we sit with, with an extended belly, which is not due to some medical situation or another, you, you often have unrequited desire, okay, and you often have a kind of, if I may be permitted to say, constipation that takes place there in the chakra itself, where it is become so full of, of unrequited desire, unrequited dreams that are filled and so on and so forth, and that we keep wanting, 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 and we never get um, what we want. Now, if we just put that to aside for a minute, because we could go on forever, and we lift it and we say, if we take vision into Christ consciousness, which is Elohim in the all-seeing eye of God, and we have pure desire, and you raise your soul center, your solar center, because the word soul actually comes from the word solar or sun, your sun center of consciousness lives in your vision. The great central sun is the eye of God. It is Elohim. It is all-powerful desire. All of creation comes out of the eye of God. So we have to raise our desire into the third eye. We have to raise it into the seat of Christ consciousness, which is all wisdom pervading, which is my trails consciousness meaning the crown chakra opens through the illumination of wisdom compassion love and so on and so forth so that we see yes there's nothing wrong with desire in itself the word desire comes from the word deity sires so what is desire it's to impregnate and make happen something is born isn't it so when we desire something if we desire with god deity meaning basically a reflection of god if our desire is linked with God, godliness, goodness, godliness in our highest self, we will in fact over time overcome the um, temptations that are sent to us to desire, constantly desire things we don't really need. Situations we don't need, people we don't really need very much in our life because we create karma with one another and so on and so forth, you see. So it's quite a journey, this mountaineering, climbing from the fallen precincts of desire and vision all the way back up to the fount of Christ consciousness which is the third eye mm. that's really uh, amazing thank you so much Anakanima so I just want to quickly take this opportunity to let people know that we are uh, we are the Blue Lotus Radio and you can contact us, Blue Lotus Radio. We are contactable, and we are going to give you 
a contact number and it's best to contact us through um, through WhatsApp because we're all busy, we're all teachers and we can't always talk, take phone calls but we can always phone you back if you need to be in contact with us and so the phone number I'm going to give you is, is for Aniela, she's my wife and she's a school teacher so she's busy so do you leave a WhatsApp message for her and it will be passed on to me or to Anna Kalima and so uh, Aniela's uh, number that she uses specifically for this contact it's not a private number it is a, an additional number so it's plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two so I repeat that it's plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two and that is the contact number for Aniela and it's also the contact number for Blue Lotus Radio and we once a week on a Wednesday we broadcast Anna Kalima's talk and it's, and uh, we're growing our radio platform and, and uh, we could always uh, appreciate if you appreciate our work you can always give a small donation and the content um, the account number to uh, to get for that is all you can also get that through Anakalima I mean through uh, Aniela who will be able to more than willing give you the details and we welcome any contact um, with you and um, we also welcome if you can pass on our work and let people know about Anakalima talk uh, once a week every Wednesday and we have podcasts that we put out every week and um, well this platform is growing as we can see from the statistics so thank you very much for that and uh, Anakalima is still here with us so we're going to still have a bit of chat and then she will round off and find a way that she happily rounds off but we're still going to chat for a while and um, I just want to thank you all for listening to Blue Lotus Radio so Anna Kalima I think the thing I would like to bring to your attention and I bring this out of the roots of my own life experience for my own life experience has been very intense. I've lived and maintained my being in three different countries. I've not always been in South Africa. Um, and I've traveled quite a lot overseas, very much more to the east, but I have traveled and seen how other people live and so on and so forth. Um, I spent a lot of time in Taiwan and in fact at an interpreter given to me so that I could get around uh, with the great Buddhist uh, order that I belonged to because I was secretary to the abbot and um, a representative for South Africa for Buddhism here in South Africa and therefore I traveled uh, quite a bit with them around our own country uh, with him and obviously to the headquarters which were actually in Taipei 
in Taiwan. So I have most assuredly seen how other people live. I've been to Thailand, I've been to Cambodia, I've been to Hong Kong, I've been around quite a bit, Ralph. And I have found that really people are all the same at the end of the day. I've been to the UK, I have family that live in the UK and so on. I've been to Portugal and so on. And yes, as I've said, I've lived in three different countries, although I was actually born here in South Africa in our northern province. And I would like to share with you in my life's experience um, all over with all different people from different parts of the world um, where I've often found myself obviously through the needs of the higher self placed in quite extreme situations Ralph, of, of different racial levels. Um, I've traveled with, with um, people from Tanzania. I traveled with a doctor from Tanzania and I traveled with another gentleman from the Republic of Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo to Taiwan. These two individuals were my um, business companions when we went overseas. We kind of went everywhere together. In fact, the doctor, the lady and I shared a room together wherever we were in Taiwan. This beautiful woman whose husband was also a doctor. Um, quite an amazing experience to be amongst many many different if I might put it colored people I was actually ostensibly really the only white person there often found myself enmeshed in in a sea of either um, people from Africa or Chinese people or so on and so forth where I was really completely at some sort of levels out of my depths in the sense I had no white person or companion to turn to but it never once in any moment ever occurred to me that I needed it and I actually learned a tremendous amount out of it. I attended a delegation in um, Thailand of some 300 very prominent uh, Chinese Buddhist individuals that came from all over the world and was appointed a translator. I was the only white woman there in that entire international delegation that the press attended as well. It was the most profound experience I've ever had to be the only white person there if we want to look at race and to be so exonerated and put up to the fact where I was interviewed by the press later in Taiwan as well on that level when I went back to Taiwan. Um, it was a most profound experience working for the, um, the, the, the Chinese as such as I were, the, the, the Chinese side being the Taiwanese people as well and to be in that kind of experience that really promoted what from me? Tremendous tolerance, tremendous humility, that other people live differently. And although their ways might be very foreign to you, you must remain humble and quiet. And what I adopted was, first of all, humility. Secondly, I took it upon myself to learn a certain amount of Mandarin, which I learned to speak and was trained in very lovingly by my cohorts back here in South Africa. Um, and the, the, the great Chinese temple here. We have the Nanhua temple here in South Africa, um, which you know uh, we went to last year. We, we took our convention there, remember, last year, and we took our, our day off from the convention and went there, and everyone had a very wonderful time. Although, of course, it's become very quiet due to lack of funding at this point in time. But um, interesting enough, going back to that experience, because I took it upon myself to learn just enough Mandarin okay to get around where I wasn't completely like silenced because I couldn't open my mouth and say a word because I wouldn't know what I was saying I found these people took me in 
I had people inviting me to spend the night in their home. I'd never met before, but very much Chinese delegates who are very deeply involved and have spent their entire life. These are very powerful, extremely wealthy individuals who have beautiful but very humble homes with regard they pour all their funds into their Buddhist belief and faith. So I had a most tremendous experience of working with these people and learning to humble myself to their ways, learning to accept where I would sleep and my my situation on where I would take a bath and so on and so forth. All these things count a great deal, you see, Ralph. And the kind of foods that I, I just allowed myself to eat, which were completely foreign to me. And yet I entered into it because, you know, in, in the Buddhist path, you don't eat meat of any kind. But um, it was a tremendously wonderful warming experience that tutored my soul in a way I am so humbly grateful for to this very hour. Because I learned to work with people in extreme situations, okay? Uh, where actually in that uh, Chinese delegation in Thailand, which we had incidentally, Ralph, in a very, very uh, fancy hotel, very, very, very high up in that hotel, where they hired out this entire uh, section of this five-star hotel in Thailand. And I'm telling you, I've never seen, you know, you say Chinese, or rather, let's say vegetarians only eat, I've never seen vegetarian food like that in my life. You would not believe it was only vegetarian and people who were dressed, and the men all wore very expensive suits. We were all dressed to the highest level. We had to dress that way, okay? That was the requirement, extreme formality. Because actually, um, in situations like that, the Chinese people are very formal. They are very formal and extremely um, proud in their formality, if I might uh, use that word. They certainly know how to put on things, and when I say put on things, to represent things, to put on a show like that, to, to, to bring forth what is required to make something like that take place. It takes an extreme amount of management as well as an immense amount of money. Okay, and you might say, well, where all this money was flowing and all these very wealthy people, were they humble? Yes, they were very humble. I'm not saying every last one of them were, but they were very humble, especially the ones I was able to sort of uh, circulate with at the time so I've had certain experiences in life that have caused for me to be put into or, or onto a spot where I've had to be extremely humble and uh, allow the person in front of me to lead me in the way that they live and if we could just look at as an example like that and we look at what forgiveness is living in Africa, living in different countries as I have, I lived for a long time on the on the border of the Democratic Republic of Republic of Congo and I, I know what it is like to live on the equator and I know what it is like to deal with the Congolese people I love very much. Most of them are French speaking by the way Ralph so um, it's quite interesting where they move so very quickly from their own native language Congolese into full fluent French into full fluent Mandarin and then into full fluent English at the same time and some of them even spoke Afrikaans which was really mind stopping it really was as to how they are able to actually um, <laughs> master all these languages with a school where you think that's their native tongue it's so fluid within them you see so I learned a, a tremendous amount of humility that way and I learned about the power of forgiveness and when I was if I go back into Taiwan and I stayed with various families as I also was all, um, invited to stay at some of the very wonderful temples I covered Ralph every single temple in Taiwan from Taipei to Kaohsiung and even some of the island nations around there as well I have been there where there's so much trouble now in the South China Seas. I've been there. It's very beautiful there. Um, if I'd had a choice and there were no problems, I would actually probably have wanted to return and live there for quite some time. It's so beautiful. Um, but it was, it, it left me in that feeling that 
the kind of welcome I received in these people's homes in just a little bit of humility from me, just a little bit of gratitude for what they gave me. Um, they, they almost bend over backwards. Uh, you can say whatever you like about them, the Chinese people. And when they do take you in and they are hosts and hostesses of you, they will stop at nothing to give you everything you could possibly ever want and more to the point where when you walk out of their homes, normally nine times out of ten, your handbags, your bags and things are overflowing with gifts and things that they ply you with because that is their nature. They are very generous people. They are very, very generous people. And I learned a lot in that generosity. I learned a lot in how to give to receive because in a sense, what did I have to give them? Just me. Just my humility, my profound interest in their culture, the shared interest we had in Buddhism, and yet they plied with me with things that still live with my soul to this very day. I still have um, one or two beautiful um, statues of Kuan Yin that I brought back with me from that particular era in my life that I keep on my altar to this day. So I, I share with you, my listener, and say I have had a global experience with different cultures and people, put into profound experiences and so on and so forth. Um, and I tell you that if you are willing to actually put aside your fears, there's often fear that comes up that prevents us from wanting to give as much as we'd like to. It's often fear of either being rejected or being thought perhaps silly or all the rest of it or so on. It's also fear that we might not have enough to give as well, that we might need to give more than we do. And it's also sometimes a sense of ingratitude that doesn't allow us to receive gifts that are given to us. They can be gifts of, of just genuine warmness. Um, I, I, in one particular restaurant, the, 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 the sort of restaurant situation you've got in Taiwan then is very different to here. They, these street restaurants are very powerful, seemingly little, little shops that aren't even really restaurants. Or because I was there with them, they would suddenly make a pair of, out of the blue, a little white plastic table and four plastic chairs right out on the pavement in front of their shop and no one butts an eye. And there we suddenly having a Chinese feast of, of vegetables and beautiful, the, the Chinese bean drink that they have that looks a little bit like chocolate but isn't hot chocolate, but is actually even more delicious and so on because of this wonderment, because you accept them, because you accept their charity, prepare to eat with them and break bed with them and sit down with them and so on and so forth and there's no prejudice whatsoever you'll be surprised at what you experience this has given me a life endowment and I share this with you even with the African countries I have lived in and been in and so on and so forth and I can say to you there again I met and went to school with very profound persons I loved so deeply as a part of my own soul forces forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive Try not to see color because it is one of the greatest traps there ever has been is to see color between individuals. It's a trap and it will tie you up for embodiments. All right. So you need to come away from that. It is one of beloved Master Afra's pet subjects because whenever disciples ask him the question, Master Afra, what about? And he will say, but beloved, why do you always see color? Do the flowers of the field challenge one another because a rose and a daisy grows next to each other? No, they don't. They grow happily next to each other, completely actually unaware of the individual beauty, you see. And the masters don't like it very much when we uh, kind of push the subject too much because you can't ascend if you've got these kind of ideas in you, you see. You can't ascend if you're not going to make peace with God and to say that God actually meets you in many different tones of skin you see 
Am I making sense? I hope I'm making sense. So humility is the great call of the hour. Therefore, forgiveness is always to give first. Always to give first. I was invited to a monastery row right on the very top of one of the mountains there um, in uh, leaving Taipei and moving down the peninsula. A monastery that is actually strictly barred to the so-called public, although I wasn't public as such. I went up there with the abbot that I was secretary for and a couple of the other people, plus this doctor and this gentleman from the Congo and a few other uh, Taiwanese people and in the monastic order. We went up. In this, uh, we had to drive up, and I tell you, it's so high up. The clouds are amongst the temples there. It's so high up there. And we were invited into this wondrous, uh, um, I suppose you would call it a room they use for everything, like a kitchen, like a conversational room, and basically a social room and so on and so forth. Quite a long sort of rectangular room, very splendidly furnished in the typical Buddhist traditions. And the tremendous feasts and opportunities I was given, again, I had my interpreter who was constantly um, translating the questions. This very old monk who was the chief abbot of this um, monastery in these mountains was asking me regarding South Africa and uh, how it is I ended up in the particular situation I had in being secretary to the abbot. And I can tell you something now. I learned some profound experiences there and how this monk never went down into the cities and only ever stayed up there, but never a more humble and incredibly quiet and graceful human being I've ever met. And he wasn't all excited and all up and down. He asked questions quietly, received my answers quietly, and had a warmth of love that flowed from his hands. He, he leant across the table a little bit and folded his hands over each other, you see, in a sort of semi-gesture of of a kind of prayer in a way, but he had his hands flat on the table, earnestly listening to everything I had to say, you see, and asking me questions and reading me, reading me all the time of where I was coming from and being in this really strange situation that I was in. I would say to you, really, people are wonderful. They are truly, truly, profoundly, profoundly wonderful. And if we can learn to put aside our prejudices, we will forgive, because prejudice is also often the heartbringer of non-forgiveness. And if you look at prejudice, Ralph, what really is prejudice? It comes out of opinion, doesn't it? You have a certain idea about a thing or a person or situation, and then you collect more of that idea because you're hanging on to that idea, and the law of attraction is you will attract more people who think like that. And before you know it, you end up finding that actually some of the prejudices you have really don't exist. They are actually an accumulation of everybody's opinion built on a supposition built on just a moment of perhaps not quite understanding uh, a situation or an event, and you end up with a whole situation that actually becomes a comic block in your road path, you see, because you have this certain prejudice about a situation, a person, persons, cultures, events, uh, God knows what, languages, I don't know, and it ends up being uh, a tremendous problem for you because now you can't forgive, because right back at the point where it began, you identified with that prejudice and you made it your own belief system. And out of that belief system, you created a massive karmic block which you might have to reincarnate with. So I think from the very beginning, and I've mentioned all the diversity of my experiences here, because from the very beginning, we need to always be a little open and allow other people to be who and what they are. Allow them to express their cultural differences without being threatened by them, without feeling drowned by them. You'll be quite surprised at what happens. You know, it's 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 an amazing thing if people don't find, especially what we call the foreigner, if they don't find that you are prejudiced towards their culture, 
they will invite you in. I have never in my life, in the entire sojourn I've had in Africa, and I say this, I stand out, ever had misqualified energies with what we would call black people. I don't. I love them with all my heart. I've always been welcomed by them wherever I go. I've always had very profound friends amongst this beautiful nation of people here. I've always been invited into their homes. I've even had offers of marriage by some of them because they are a very different people altogether. And I never took that to heart in the sense, oh, gee, what do I do now? I gracefully declined. But at the end of the day, it's a matter of how you tolerate people and how you avoid your, your prejudices. Therefore, you are able to forgive or give first. When someone does something to you that truly grieves you, you have a choice. You can decide in that moment to come down on them. In other words, you judge, you condemn. Or you can actually withhold your opinion, hold back a little bit, allow your own temper to calm down, return to your center and ask yourself, is it really worth judging you, holding a criticism against you, which at the end of the day is only going to bite me very, very badly because I didn't have the charity of soul to forgive you in the beginning. Because just maybe somewhere along the line, I did that to you in another life or someone like you. When I mentioned that the the law of the, the eye and the tooth and, and so on is now the mosaic law of an eye and eye and a tooth and tooth and all the rest of it, and you hit me and I hit you, is gone, is simply because it does not promote karmic compatibility. It, because sometimes you see what happens is, is this, and St. Germain has stressed on this very strongly. Some of the people, you know, people don't even realize this, particularly light bearers as well, that we owe karma to the ascended masters. Because maybe in another life we bumped with that particular master who went on anyway and ascended because the law of karma transfers the debt. If that one is willing to forgive you, they move on and they can ascend. If you weren't willing to forgive, you're still here and haven't ascended. There are actually certain ascended masters we owe and need to ask forgiveness for because maybe we crossed their paths in another life and weren't too very kind to them while they were still striving for their ascension you see now does it mean what saint germain teaches you is is does it mean he let's say it's a man for example he's never allowed to ascend because this debt between the two of you must be sorted out no the comic law doesn't work like that the compassion of karma doesn't work like that it says if you are willing to release and fully forgive this individual for this slight injustice whatever it is then you are free and you pursue your path you endure and you ascend Meanwhile, you who didn't forgive us still here. You see, that's how the law of karma now works. It's why that that karmic law was changed by Jesus. Otherwise, we can't progress. We can't evolve because we are always holding each other back. We are always holding each other back because the one won't forgive the other. So what happens then? You see, people say, well, then what happens now? How do I pay that debt off? Well, that debt is transferred to a very similar situation with somebody else. You might also owe another ascended master and it might work out that it is so similar that the two of you will now take on that situation and pay it off together. Now that's a huge thought, isn't it? Oh, that is indeed. Wow, thank you so much, Anna for all these thoughts and this wonderful uh, discussion we've had here this morning. And uh, I'd like to just thank you for sharing with us your personal experiences, your travels, your visions, your contact with the Masters, personal contact with the Masters. Uh, these are very valuable gems to share with us. So we thank you very much. And I'd like to thank you, 
the audience uh, listening to this conversation here on Blue Lotus Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Blue Lotus Radio. And now we're going to say goodbye and we wish you a wonderful rest of the day and a wonderful week. And uh, Anna Kalima, would you like to say one thing before we close? Forgive. Even if you do not believe you are, are actually the one that needs to forgive, if you feel the injustice was so, you are given a tremendous opportunity in that moment. Jesus put it this way, didn't he? He said, if a man, and I'm not using it quite in his words, I use it in mine, smotes you upon the face, what do you do? You turn the other cheek. This is one of those teachings that are debated to the present hour in very hot, hot philosophical debate. So you, 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 you punch a friend on the face and then Fred comes back and says, punch me again. <laughs> you see? <laughs> okay, here's the other side. You hit the other one. No, just make it even and hit me there too. You see, I'm teasing you. Take <laughs> with you. Take the sting out of being so serious here. And yes, we need to offer the other cheek. You see, we need to say, in that moment, um, you've really actually brought quite some injustice here. But you know what? It's actually your issue, not mine. I forgive you, and God bless you, and I move along, and I pray in my forgiveness. It will create enough of a gap between us that you will actually sit back and realize just what it is that you've done. Mabel, humble yourself before your own behavior and try and seek a bit of redemption. If not before Christ, then who knows, but try and seek some redemption. That is my, my request to you all, is truly, 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 I plead with you, I plead with you, and beg with you at the end of the day, the world is where it is because we do not forgive. And the minute we truly understand the law of forgiveness, we understand the law of brotherhood, we understand the law of our being, which is love, the world will turn almost overnight. I thank you. Ah, thank you. We thank you, beloved Anna Kalema. Thank you so much for this wonderful uh, conversation this morning. And we're now going to say goodbye and we wish you all a wonderful week ahead. So, goodbye now. <laughs>